Father, we just thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you um, for your goodness and your mercy. Uh, God, I thank you for another day to breathe, um, that we live in a country where we can have the freedom to gather and worship. Father, I know that there are people in this room that are here um, because they're invited by a friend, that's it, or forced to, or numerous other reasons. Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, even against their will, maybe. Just show yourself to them, Lord, that you'd push past the the anger and the bitterness and the mistrust and the hurt, uh, and to do what you do and just save and change and restore. Um, Father, help me to preach your word, and only your word, and that I wouldn't get in the way, and uh, I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ, let me pray. Amen. How you guys doing today? All right. Uh, well, hey, I, if you're new here and knew the last two weeks, sorry I didn't see you. I got sick. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that I'm back because Blake is very charming if you were here last week. So I can't match that. But uh, I'm excited to be back. We were in the middle of a series. The second, This is the second week of that called Liar, Liar. And the, the point of all, this whole thing is to discuss lies. You're like, okay, Todd, that makes sense. What do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. In culture, right, the cult, if you don't know much about Christianity, that's fine. We'll talk about that later, about Jesus. But it, or if you do, culture has told us things about life that are lies. They've told us things about life, about how life should work, how life should function, how things should be, and they're lies. They're not truth, Right? They're not for our best, but because the whole world system operates on these lies, over time that becomes to us the norm. Now, if you're in the room and you're a Christian, you're saying that's just in the world, but it's not. So there's a lot of things that we do within the church, and that's what the capital C, meaning the body of Christ, that we take as normal that are not necessarily biblical things, but are instead tradition. Now, not all tradition's bad, but sometimes these things that become norm, become normal, um, can distract us from God's truth or sometimes even lead people away from God. And it happens subtly, right? Most people, most Christians, most pastors, um, most of us in the room, we don't want to do that. But what happens is, and this happened throughout history, is we get God's word, he speaks to us, and then we decide we're going to fill in the gaps, right, the gaps. So we start adding to it, or we start erasing, or we start saying interpreting, right? If you weren't here the first week, interpretation has become a fancy way to say, I can just make it say what I want it to say. When the reality is truth is truth, right? Truth has to be truth. That's what the word means. Some of you go, what do you mean, man? That's my truth and your truth. No, truth has to exist outside of my belief. We talked about that last week, right? I can say that I'm Superman, right? But if I jump off this roof and I, I'm, I'm going to fly because I believe it, I'm going to hit the ground. Because the truth is, regardless of how much I believe, how delusional I am, gravity works on me. I'm not a Kryptonian. See, I know all the Superman stuff. Anyway, because there is truth and loss that are outside of my power. And so in this series, some of it's going to be stuff that's the world, right? And as Christians, we should know and we kind of forget. I'm I'm calling the world the system outside of Christ's body. If you're like, Todd, what does that mean, Christ's body? I don't know what this church thing is. It means all Christians. We come together and we we form the body of Christ is what the Bible tells us. We are Jesus here, right? And so some of it's that, and some of it, though, is going to be challenge the way we view what we believe and how we do things. And I've said this many times. I have a tendency um, to irritate people. Uh, But you know what's funny? Why did you nod, Hannah? She's like, yes, you do. You sure do. Uh, (laughs) She literally, it was like a a really good point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, uh, I tend to irritate people, but, and this is true, the thing that, the, the, the time people are most angry at me, and this is true, the most angry at me it, are the times that I just speak the plain truth. It's almost like they believe I wrote the Bible. <clears throat> That's not the case. So if, if that happens today, all right, I, I say this every week, go and read for yourself, okay? Go read for yourself. 
I have, you should do that. Challenge what I say against the truth of Scripture, right? <clears throat> but be careful that you're not trying to force your interpretation on the Word of God. You know what I mean? Our interpretation should be molded by God's Word, not the other way around. And that's that, even that alone in Christianity, we're like, well, of course, Todd, but we don't really live that out like that. <clears throat> but that being said, I will tell you a story that just happened. You're right, you like stories? Hannah, and you can nod now. Thumbs up. All right. <clears throat> um, this is true. I spoke with a friend of mine a few weeks ago. Now, he's a friend I've known a majority of my life. And um, I think he'd be okay with me telling this story if he's watching. <laughs> Uh, if not, I'll say sorry later. Anyway, he's gone through a, it is serious, he's gone through a, a tough time the last few months, and we haven't talked in several months. And actually, kind of funny story, I married, I didn't marry him, but I performed the ceremony for him and his wife several years ago. And it was, I remember this distinctly, now he's definitely going to know I'm talking about him, because he had, this is just a, has nothing to do with this message, but I found it incredible. He had a carriage and a carriage driver that looked like it was Disney characters that came to life. I'm not exaggerating. The guy looked like Cinderella. Someone that just pulled them out of the cartoon and put them there. You guys aren't as amazed as I was, but it was incredible. <clears throat> so I married them, and I haven't talked to him in a few months. And I did know that he got hurt, so he wasn't working for a while. Injured. Um, and he's a young guy. He's in his 20s. And uh, found out he has some marriage issues, very serious marriage issues, which, right, that's, that hits a little closer to home since I'm the one that performed their ceremony. He, um, and he's in some deep depression, which he's pretty open about. I'm talking the deep stuff, not just I'm having a bad day, right? There's a reason we have the word depression because that's more than being sad. <clears throat> so I talked to him. He started sharing some of these things how he's not living at home right now, and a lot of different things. And um, in the midst of that, I, I ended up talking to him about Jesus because he was saying there was no hope. Now, you got to know this guy. He's open to talking, but he's not, he's not a Jesus guy. And I typically, they know where I stand. They know what I do. Um, but regardless, I talked to him about Jesus. And I sent him because I know him. He's going to get awkward if I sit here and go too deep into it. So I said, listen, man, I sent him this little clip from, I believe, the baptism service, right? I had this little clip that you can find online. It's called Lepers and Thieves, and it just talks about the gospel. And I said, listen, man, you're not going to want to hear me do this, tell you this, so I'm going to send you this clip. That way you don't feel awkward. Listen to it. Tell me what you think. So he ends up getting back to me, and I didn't think he'd actually listen. He gets back to me a few, just a few hours later, and he tells me, and if you know him, he is not a crier. He said, I've been crying because I feel like he said, a leper and a thief, if you're saying, he goes, and I feel like I've just gone too far. I've gone too far. Gone too far. This is probably the thing I hear the most from people that are hurting and hear me tell them the gospel. I've gone too far. I'm too far gone. God wouldn't want someone like me, right? We make jokes. You've probably met the person who says, I don't go to church. I walk in, I burst into flames. <laughs> Why do they really say that? Sometimes even people that aren't hurting, I've seen tough guys. You ever met a tough guy? No? Tough guys drop the hard facade just to tell me, God doesn't want me. I've gone too far. Now, see, some of you already, Christians, you're, the, you're my favorite and my not favorite. You've already zoned out because you know everything about the Bible. I understand this, right? Stay with me. Particularly when we talk about things like this. I've heard, th I've heard things like, and maybe you feel this way too, I'm a monster. Right? I've done things that if God knows what I did, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. You know, you don't know how bad I am. God doesn't want me. Right? I've gone too far. Too far. Now, we hear that phrase, what, do you, what, what does too far mean? Too far from what when they say that, right? Most of the time, for instance, a lot of my friends from my previous my past, right? They don't. They didn't grow up in church. So what do they? What, what does too far mean to them? Far from what? Well, the answer is unspoken in this sentence. When people say this to you, so I'm going to finish it for you. What they're saying is, is I've gone too far for God. I've gone too far away. I've done too much. 
I'm too far away from him, right? He doesn't hear me, he doesn't want me. Now, this is the part where all the Christians in the room would say, because you've, you're good people, no, God loves you. God loves you right where you are. And we shake our head and we kind of smile and to ourselves and we let them know about grace, how far it goes. But here's what I want to tell you about people outside the church, people that don't know Jesus. <clears throat> you could tell them about grace all you want, but they see the way that we live, not what we say we believe. Let that sink in for a minute. They see the way we live, not just what we say we believe. So even grace, that's what we say we believe, the truth. We believe in grace. That's, that's what this is all about, right? God's grace. But here's the thing I want to ask you, or tell you, I guess the offended part, I'll just do that. I don't think we really believe that. At least not for when you come to know Christ. Now, we'll believe it for those people that don't know him, right? doesn't matter how far you are. You can be a drug dealer, murderer. Jesus will come to you. But after you come to Christ, there's no more grace. There's no more forgiveness. There's no more him meeting you where you are. You get your act together, right? You get your act together or you're doomed. He doesn't want anything to do with you. The church doesn't want anything to do with you. And, hey, if they find out, you might even get kicked out of the church. No, Todd, that's not true. That's not what we do. Really. So, how many people know that thing you're ashamed of? How many Christians know? How many Christians know your struggles that you deal with in the dark room when no one's around? How many Christians have you shared with your mistakes? How many Christians do you feel comfortable telling that you're having a rough time in your marriage? Maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. Right? How many Christians do you talk to about that? What about leaders, ministry leaders? They get caught, right? They're an alcoholic. I, this story, typically it's sexual things, but I remember hearing a story, reading a story. The guy's wife divorced him, pastor of a big mega church, right? And I'm not saying that, I don't know the details, but on the surface, Divorced him, the church gets rid of him because he was an alcoholic. Struggle with alcoholism, the stress of it. Now, maybe he wasn't repentant, I don't know, but we see that, right? We see, you see that. You see these people, they get caught, and then what we do, what we do to Christians that get caught. We make them pay penance. We kick them out. And you're like, no, we don't kick them out. They can still come, but even if they come, we sit far away from them. You might smile, but you're whispering, isn't that so-and-so? We tell ourselves that, oh, well, you know, pastors and ministers and people in ministry, it's, they just standards higher, right? They have different rules. That's what we tell ourselves to feel better. They don't get grace because it only goes too far. We can't forget truth, Todd. Jesus came in truth and grace. Secret is, you. We can say that we, oh, they're held to a higher standard, right? And I use ministry leaders because that's when it's a big deal, right? Newsworthy. But here's the thing: we believe to say things about ourselves. That's exactly why you don't tell anyone. See, and notice I didn't ask, "Do you have things?" I know you do. You know why? Because you're human. Every single one of you in this room has things that you have carried that are shame from the past. Or shame from the present. Things that you wouldn't dare share at church, but you might talk to, to people at work. I got a good friend, he's in the room, he'll tell you this, right? He very rarely has told people within his church the real stuff, right? But outside the church, these buddies he has, it's, it's safe to do that. Isn't that sad? The secret is we believe the same things about ourselves. We hold secrets and shame and fear, and here's the question we ask ourselves. And I'm not immune to this. Have, we, have, have I really gone too far this time? Will God really still want me? And I know I felt the same way. I felt so far from God because of my past. And honestly, guys, sometimes because of my present, things I do now, ways I act when I know the truth, right? When I do things that I know are wrong. 
And I feel so far away in those moments, and I bet you probably do too. That's why you get angry. He went too far. She went too, too far. We went too far. I went too far. These thoughts roll through our head. I'm too far gone. A million miles too far gone. That's what it feels like, isn't it? What's the point of turning around? I'm so far, it would take me so long to get back to him. What's the point? I know. I know the pain. And it stinks because sometimes some of you did take that chance and you did share. You did what scripture told you to do, right? And you said you thought they were going to walk with you and they didn't. Because the truth, even though we know it's biblical, it's not what we practice so many times. And then going back to my buddy who's not in the church, they're not dumb. You think the grace we preach to them, they don't sit and go, but why don't you do it for each other? You know, Jesus says a really powerful thing. If you're new here, if you're not new here, I say this all the time, but it's so powerful. He says, Jesus told his disciples, they will know you by your love for one another. He says, they will know you're mine by how you love each other. Now listen, most of the time we say, well, we focus on loving the world. We're going to go out, and I'm evangelistic. I want people to know Jesus. We all should. But we love them more than we love ourselves, each other. We'll give grace to a murderer before we'll offer grace to a fallen pastor. Let that sink in. And people are going, he's just saying that about himself. Sure, I've needed grace. I still do. But I'm saying that just to give you an idea. Do I think that we want it to be that way? Do I think, you know, pastors and leaders and we wake up and say, I want to twist the Bible. I want to twist truth. I want to take grace from people and condemn them. I don't think we do that. The problem is over time, when we stop looking at God's word for the truth, listen to me, even those of you that have been in church for 40 years, see, you, 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 your memory isn't as good as you, as you think it is. You know, see, sometimes you'll remember Scripture and you'll get most of it right and a subtle little thing, right, gets off. And then a pastor tells you something and you go, I guess that sounds right. And you don't go home and test it against the Word of God. And over time, we all do that. And then guess what happens? We create something that looks like Jesus but isn't Jesus. A million miles away from God and His grace. That's how it feels, at least to me. Has it ever, you ever felt that way? You aren't going to say it if you did, right? Because then I know you sinned. So you're not going to nod. Yeah, right? You know your secrets. Is that the truth? Does God only meet us where we are once? One time before you know him? Hey, come to the cross. After that, you better get your act together. I'll be done with you. <clears throat> and already some of you in the room, just because I know how we are, you've been trained. Mm, this guy's going down a dangerous road. He's saying sin's okay. Did I say that? No, sin's very serious. It was serious enough that someone had to die for it. But see, here's something else serious. He had to die so that I never have to. He died so that I don't have to live in fear and in shame. That's why he died, to free the captives. So you want me to put chains back on you? The most angry Jesus ever got was when he was talking to religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he said, you put weights on people's backs, but don't lift a finger to help them take it off. You brood of vipers, you snakes. Isn't that what we do? And then we wonder why the world looks at us and laughs. And then we sit looking at them like, (laughs) they're so lost, a million miles away. Is the truth that God only meets us where we're at once? Before we come to the cross, does the cross not go a million miles towards us anymore? Does it not reach that far? Was it only partially true? Is your salvation only partially true? The fact is, the truth is more shocking and more beautiful than you or I can imagine or even fully believe on our own because no one in this world does what God does. No one in this world loves the way God loves. We don't have anything to compare it to. No one in this world forgives the way God forgives. No one in this world will look at someone and say, I don't see what you've done, I see your heart. 
It doesn't happen. We have to prove it to him, right? You ever made a mistake that you feel like you've been trying to prove people isn't you for years? I have. No matter what you do, right, you can't make it up. You can't go a million miles back. That's why sometimes you just give up. I've gone 100 miles, man. I can't make the rest of it. I get it. I'm here to tell you today, and I want you to listen. It doesn't matter what you've been told. And I wish I could tell you that when you walk out of here, that the church is always going to agree with this and tell you the truth and encourage you. They're not. But we can change things if we're willing to rest on God's truth. Even if the world, the church, says something different. So, I'm going to tell you a story again. Now, this one I didn't, I wasn't there for, but I got to set this up. There's a lot of scripture today, so stay with me, okay? Uh, And don't worry about, I mean, keeping up. You can get it later if you need to, but... I got I to gotta kind of give you a uh, synopsis of part of this, or otherwise we'll never get anywhere. So there's a crazy story in the Old Testament. That's a crazy story. Now, it's become very popular lately. They're making movies about it. I think they're even making like a big mainstream movie about this. Who's ever read the book Redeeming Love? I know in Christianity, that's a big book, right? Yeah, beautiful book. I was given it. Never read it. Anyway, I do know it's a good book, okay? <clears throat> and the Old Testament tells a lot about God and his heart. If you know the Israelites, that's God's people, he made a deal with them, right? It's more than that. He made a promise to them. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will make a covenant. And we don't even have that word anymore. We're like, it's a contract. Now, people break contracts. A covenant says, even if, right, Josh, if I make a covenant with you, even if you break the terms of the deal, I never will. I will be faithful even when you're not. That's not, that's definitely not American, is it? We got to get it in writing. You break the deal, contract's off. That's not how God works. He parted the Red Sea for these people, right? Led them out of slavery, led them to the promised land, protected them as they were surrounded by enemies. Even today, Israel is surrounded by enemies and still exists, right? They so often turned away from him. That's really what the Old Testament's filled with. People constantly turning away from God. They went so far as to worship false gods, Imagine that. You know, my grandpa saw this Red Sea, but I think this God's better. They end up getting destroyed all the time, over and over. Not even because God, you know, God punishes them, but sometimes we got to view it differently. Sometimes punishment is just letting people have what they want. So they end up getting destroyed. They call out to him again, right? They eventually get to the point where we're almost destroyed. Then they say, Lord, forgive us. And what's he do? He forgives them. He saves them. Over and over and over again. The book of Judges, that's all it is. We turn away from you. Please, God, save us. He saves them. Hey, everything's great. God sucks. Move on. And then on and on and on, back and forth. Over and over and over, they call out. He answers. Why? Because he he made a promise to them. So there's a story in the Old Testament. It's a wild story that shows how much God hates sin. So you get to hear, those that you sin lovers, I'm going to tell you how much he hates sin. We got this part. But it also tells how far his love goes. There's a prophet named Hosea. Okay? God comes to this prophet in the midst of one of these times when the Israelites have turned away from him. They're worshiping false gods. And these false gods, right, they're promising things. Hey, when I go pray to this God, rain comes. That's not what happens, right? Hey, when we worship this God, these people with swords don't kill us. That sounds like a good God. Forgetting who's really in charge. Forgetting who really blessed them. So in the midst of this, God comes to this prophet, and it starts so strange. We don't even get told what they've done yet. And he says, hey, Hosea, yes, God, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I'm sorry? Yeah, you see that woman over there? Her name's Gomer, which is so weird, right? I grew up, my dad, like, that's been ruined by uh, Andy Griffith's show. My dad watching Gomer Pyle. No one? <laughs> my dad. He made me watch it. <clears throat> anyway, he tell a promiscuous woman. Now, some people say when you translate that, it can mean one of two things, and I think both are very powerful. It could be a literal prostitute, or God said to him, marry that woman, beautiful woman, but she will cheat on you. Or she was known as the woman that's like, hey, that, she's been with a lot of people. And he's a prophet, right? This man of God. Go and marry her. So he does. Now he knew. 
He knew we got, that she would not be faithful to him. But he went and married her. He has children with her. Happily ever after, right? No. No. Then she does the obvious. She runs off. She runs off. She goes with other lovers, plural. Men that promise her more, give her gifts, food and wine and nice things. Lavish her with praise and love. Give her everything she wants until they're done with her. So we'll come back to that story. Why did God tell him to do this? It's a weird thing, right? It's a weird thing. Now, I want to point this out because this is important. This would bother me before I knew Jesus. I always have to remember that Hosea was a real man. So is it like God didn't care about him? Yes, he did because God, of all the people in the world, Hosea is going to learn a lesson about God more than any of us. He's blessed through this, even though there's pain involved. Why did God tell him to do this? Well, we find out really quickly that God is comparing and telling Hosea, my relationship with Israel is like your relationship with your wife. I married her. I married you. I married Israel. I took you. I protected you. I guided you. I loved you. I have never left you. And yet you leave me over and over and over again. And you run to other lovers. That's what he compares it to. You, why does he do that? Because we, of all the wounds people can feel sometimes, right? That's the deep one, right? So you've run off. You've left me. Just like, Jose, the pain you're feeling right now is how I feel. It's how I feel when you, you have done to me what you have done to me. You think Hosea understood it in a different way? Years passed when he was married to this woman before she left him. How do I know that? Well, we're not told otherwise. They had three kids. He might have gotten to the point where he's like, man, God told me this was going to happen, but she's, she's been solid. This is great. They ran off. Israel ran off. They followed false gods. They forget who really loved them and took care of them. God compares Israel to a wife who left him, cheated on him, left him for other lovers. And then he says, and the consequences my wife, Israel, is having now is exactly because of that. I've turned away from her. I've rebuked her. I'm frustrated and angry at what she's done to me. She being Israel. God is angry. God tells them what's going to happen. Because you've turned away from me, you're going to hurt. The misery and hurt that comes from their decision. You understand that? Israel's decision. When it says God punishes them, that's just to remind us God's sovereign, right? He can protect and he can't. You don't want me? Fine. Deal with what happens when you're not with me. The misery and hurt that comes from their decision from walking away from him. You will be punished, and he ends this section with it. You will be rebuked. You will be in misery. But we find out that his love goes farther than his anger for his people. We find God's heart for his people and what he says next. <clears throat> he then, right after saying he's angry, says, remember, her in this point is God talking about Israel, right? His, his cheating lover. And listen to what he says. In Hosea, chapter 2, verses 14 through 20, he says, Therefore, I'm going to persuade her, her being who? There you go, just make sure. Lead her to the wilderness, and this is so beautiful. It's very powerful symbol. I'm going to take her away from those lovers. Get her away from the people that are leading her astray. I'm going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. Think about that. I'm going to go have to talk her into coming back to me. How many people want to do that when you've been hurt, right? Your pride. Not only will I go save her, I'm going to persuade her. I'm going to remind her. I'm going to lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Then I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Accor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness. <laughs> Get lost there, fellas? <clears throat> All right? There we go. And you will know the Lord. Let's go back, guys. I, back to 16. 
right? 16, it drops down. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me husband. It drops down. I will take you to be my wife forever. I'll take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. And then 20 tells us, I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. You will know me. In fact, this, it actually uses his name. Translations here, right? I can't explain it to you, Yahweh, right? They, they don't. That's his name. You're going to know me. Right after this, you're like, he tells Hosea this, and then he says this to him. He goes, right? Or Hosea does himself. <clears throat> because right after he says this to him and explains to him what's going to happen with his wife Israel, in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again and show love to a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress. Adulteresses, by the way, what happened to them in the Old Testament? Do you know? They were stoned. They were killed. So when people tell you that the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament, they don't know what they're talking about. Because he just called her. That's what, right? Why does he say this? He says, a woman who's loved by another man. We're like, okay. But then he specifically says, who is an adulteress? He wants us to know how bad this is. She deserves death. He says, I want you to go... To, the, to a woman who's loved by another man as an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, love the things of the gifts of God uh, that aren't godly. So I, so then Hosea says, so I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. Ooh, I don't understand here. I thought I was just persuading. Why do I have to buy her? Ooh, you with me? Stay with me. What happened to her? Hey, come with me. I'm going to take care of you better than Hosea. I got you. And somehow she gets sold. Right? Sold. Is she anything more than a slave? I'll just say it. Is she, a, is she just a sex slave at this point? We don't know. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. That's, that's a lot, by the way. I said to her, you must live with me many Days, don't be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same towards you. It's a weird story. Israel, what does it have to do with me, Todd? Well, let me tell you something. Israel was God's chosen people. If you put your faith in Christ, you are God's chosen people. So what happens when you run a million miles away to another lover? When you turn away from God? When you, when you get tricked or sometimes just choose it? When you find another way and you find yourself in ruin, what happens? What is God telling you right now? That I will come to you. And I'll save you, and I'll bring you home over and over and over again. Some of you are already going, well, what happens about people that don't repent? We'll get to that. That's what you sound like to me sometimes when you do that. <laughs> I've already offended you. I told you. This is what I do. I want you to let this sink in. So those of you that are married, if you're not married, you got a girlfriend, you want a girlfriend someday, what a boyfriend, and they cheat on you, and they tell you, see it. You take them back, and they do it again. They take it back, they do it again, over and over and over, and you see it. Over and over and over again. You want to take them back? Do you want to? I didn't say will you. Do you want to in that moment? No, you don't. Don't lie. Your, your hurt is so deep, right? Your love probably hasn't gone away. But your love is, your, your hurt is so deep that it can make you forget the love, can it? Here's the beautiful thing about God. God's hurt and God's anger never makes him forget his love. Never. <laughs> Even when we have betrayed him. And let, make no mistake about it. Some of you in here are like, well, that's luckily not me. Then you haven't listened to Jesus' words because the one moment in your life that you looked at someone with lust in your heart, the standard is perfection. You've already committed adultery. What do you mean, Todd? You, all you've said is if I could get away with it and nobody know, I'd do it. That's what his point is. We have all turned to other lovers. We have all turned away from God. And kids in the back, right? I keep talking to you teens because you matter. You're in here now. You, you don't think this applies to you? When you put that girlfriend or boyfriend above God? Right? When you act different at school than you do here? 
What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you're following? It's hard to be in school, isn't it? It's hard to be a Christian in school. Some of you adults, you forget that. It's hard. So what does this weird little story about Hosea mean to us? I kind of already told you, right, Josh? (laughs) There's something pretty cool that happens. He just gave me the death glare. Good, son. You already knew what was going to happen. You sat in the front. (laughs) That was your fault. Anyway, that's why, if you notice, ain't nobody sit up here. (laughs) Right? And you're all by yourself. That's prime target. (laughs) Something incredible. So you're like, okay, Todd. Then Jeremiah, another prophet. Now, this is an interesting book. God, Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites again, but he, he shifts. I could give you the fancy theological term. He's kind of there and he's in the future at the same time. He's speaking these things God says to him. And he says this incredible thing in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31 to 34. This is God. Stay with me. <clears throat> this is God speaking to the Israelites, to these people. Look. The days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Remember what I told you what a covenant is? Independent of whether we keep it. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant they broke even though I married them. There it is again. The Lord's declaration Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen to this. For I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. I will never again remember their sin. Now, you want to know why pastors, well-meaning pastors, don't tell you this. I'll get to this at the end. I'm I'm skipping. This is in my notes. Because they're scared, if you believe that, that you're going to go out and sleep around and drink and do drugs and kill people. That's what they think. They have to make you slightly afraid or you'll never come to church, right? You'll never give. You'll never do the things you need to do. But that's because they're not remembering the, the words in verses 33, in verse 31, he says, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. The Holy Spirit, right? Those who truly believe, you might go a million miles away, but you know whose you are, right? So even back then, God, here he says marriage again, he's, he's telling them of a time that's gonna come when all these these sacrifices and these high priests that have to tell you things, it's going to be gone. I will be your God. I will be individuals. They will know me. That's a big deal. See, we take that for granted. You take for granted what you have as a Christian. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, says Moses and the prophets would have longed to be you. You know that? You live in the Holy of Holies every day. What's the Holy of Holies? That's that's where God's presence is. So, Thousands of years before Jesus. Then leads us to John 3, 16 and 17. Now remember, same God, right? They gotta be different. Old Testament, New Testament. What does that say? You all know it. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. The fulfillment of the promise he made in in Jeremiah, right? The fulfillment came in Jesus. The time, remember he said there is a time coming? This is the time. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is here. You're like, well, I'm kind of getting this time. So how far does that go? Well, let's think about that. We know this part. This is the part we tell people. The part we would tell the murderer Right, the sinner. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly in the midst of our sin, right? 
For rarely will someone die for, ju- for a just person, a good person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by blood, this is so important. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Stop. He just said, if in the midst of your sin, when you were sinful and dirty and didn't know him and you were a pagan, if I came, if Christ came and saved you then, how much more will he save you now that you are holy and righteous and good, right? If he did that for someone who's not good, what's he going to do for someone who's now good? Because that's what you are. In Christ, you declare righteous, you're holy, Right? If he would do that for the unholy, you think he stops doing it for the holy? No, of course not. Moving on. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, meaning now we're in relationship, now we're married, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. We receive this kind of relationship through Christ. Drop down to verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You can go ahead and drop down. We good? They don't have it. X means he doesn't have it. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me put this in plain terms, okay? No matter how far sin goes, no matter how far it adds up, his grace will go farther. He will go two million miles. He will go a million to grab me and a million to bring me home. That's how far grace will go. You You can't outsin God's grace. You can't. No, what do you mean, Todd? Come on. We'll go to Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, I'm not even waiting. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. What is grace? Maybe that's important for you to know. There's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is, you deserve death. I'm not going to kill you. That's what we tend to think about God. That's where we stop. See, we confuse mercy and grace. You go, that's what he's done for me. That's good enough. That that would be good enough. Grace is saying, mercy is, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to murder you. Grace says, I'm going to make you my son or daughter. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to make you an heir to my throne. I'm going to love you, protect you, take care of you. I'm going to give you a position you don't deserve forever. I will remember. I don't remember who you were. I just know who you are over and over and over again, right? He sees who we are. You don't stop being holy just because you've made mistakes and done unholy things if you're facing Christ. Now, that's shocking to people. I had some people walk out already. That's what happens. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself. What does that mean, really? That's how close you are, right? You are in covenant. You are my people. I am your God. We are together. We are unified, right? I can't, he can't deny you any more than he could deny himself. That's right there, right? Black and white. What do you mean, Todd? And this is so important. Even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. That means even the time to action, when we don't act like we believe what we actually believe, even in those moments, even then, he's still faithful to us, just like he was faithful to Israel, just like Hosea was faithful to Gomer. So, Todd, what's the catch here? Sounds like a get-out-of-sin-free card, man. I just put my faith in Jesus, and I'm good for eternity, right? I mean, that is true. But that just means, what do I say, I believe this one time? No, listen. Someone that really believes in Jesus, I'm going to tell you how we know. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, same same book as the big one earlier. He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Because remember, we already said grace multiplies even when sin doesn't. So should we just keep sinning? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
How can you act like unholy when you're holy now? Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? What does that mean? That's a symbolism of baptism. Your old you is dead. The new you comes alive. It's over. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order, in order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. Here's what I tell people all the time. This is what I believe. At the end of the day, Jesus told us there's only one person that's going to be able to truly separate the saved from the unsaved, the sheep from the goats. There are people that you believe are believers, me, that I believe, that someday we're going to find out. He looks at them and says, I don't know you. Now, that's not to scare you because if you know, you know, all right? If you're changed, you're changed. What it's saying is here, people who love God, even though they may be a million miles away, they're never comfortable there. They're never happy there, right? They know that I'm not home. You know what I mean. I told a guy one time who was struggling with this, this idea that, you know, I keep messing up and I'm failing God and I'm, I'm beat up. This is in college. And I looked at him and I feel like he was this fancy, he was in seminary guy. Sometimes your knowledge can get in the way of the truth, by the way. And I, and I just told him this. I said, the very fact that you're worried about if you've gone too far shows that you know him. Think about that. The very fact that, that you want to turn back, that, that it tears you apart, Right? The fact that these things you do, that you might even be happy, but something's not sitting right, that is the proof of the Holy Spirit that's been sealed inside of you. You are a different creature. Listen, you can't live in sin and be comfortable any more than a fish can live on land. For a while, you'll flop around, but eventually, right, you die, whatever that means. Sometimes it's death relationships, sometimes it's death of self-esteem, jobs, life, reputation. You aren't made for that anymore. The problem is sometimes in a church we say if a fish jumped out on the, on the land, it's not a fish anymore. Well, that thing's not a fish. Look at it. It's flopping around. That's a cat, right? No, it's still a fish. He's just not home right now. It doesn't change what it is. Now, some of you are going, Todd, this is so obvious. And that's fair. I started with the obvious one. But sometimes the obvious ones are the ones that aren't as obvious. Because if it was obvious, right, why is it so hard to believe? Why don't we see it? And some of you, some of you this isn't a big deal to because you haven't messed up enough yet. See, this will become a lot more important to you if your sin, that secret that if I put up on this screen right now, if I put that secret on the screen, what would people think of you? If I put that, see, that happens to some people. So you just go, oh, I must not be that bad. No, no, no. <laughs> they just haven't found out about your other lovers yet. We're all in need of a savior, of someone who will never let go of us, who will come to get us, who will persuade us to come back, right? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does? It persuades us to come back like in Hosea. It tells us the truth, reminds us of who we are. We are so, so scared of false Christians that we are killing Christians. We are spiritually beating people up just so we can keep sin out of the church. And that's the joke that's the whole joke. There, the church is just made up by a bunch of broken, sinful people that have been redeemed. That's a fact. And the moment you start thinking you're above that, the moment you start thinking you're above the, per, the alcoholic, the adulterer, the, the murderer, uh, over and over, whatever it is you think you're above, the moment you forget how you got where you're at is, is the moment you're a million miles away too. You didn't save yourself. You didn't make your way to God. He came to you, and you need him today just as badly as you needed him the moment you came to him. Some of you need to hear that because the, the opposite is true too. He loves you as much today as he ever has. No matter what secrets you're carrying, no matter what shame you still bear, the thing is sometimes people won't let you forget but that doesn't change the fact that Jesus said, I will remember their sins no more. That's what God said. So even if people remember it, who cares? I wish I could take the pain away for you because I know what it's like. I'm reminded many, many times of my sin. 
It's funny too, right? It can never just be that. They always have to add to it. You sin, right? And then they're like, no, it's, it's even worse than that. He's not only an alcoholic, he's a drunk alcoholic. I'm like, that's the same thing, right? <laughs> they just want to add a word. So I want to tell you three lies and tell you three truths. Deal? We'll end with that. It's a list. You'll love that. Josh, nice. See, I don't have to do anything. Here's the lies, all in order. Lie number one. These are what we believe. You can go too far for God. You can go too far. You can sin too great. I get it. I don't, I don't understand it either. We're, I'm, not, I'm just telling you the truth. You believe, we believe, that there are things you can do that even though you put your faith in Christ, now say, ah, he's done with you. Can't really be God's. Huh, David, what did he do? A murdering adulteress. I've said this before. You want to know something shocking? Go read the book and tell me who's a worse person, Saul or David, if it were us, right? If it were us. The beauty is, is God saw man after his own heart, not because of what he didn't do, right? Not because of the ways he was unfaithful, but because of what he did do and the ways he was faithful. You see what I'm saying? What about Peter? Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Never knew that guy. I swear in the name of God, I never knew that guy. In the time he needed him most. Paul killed people. He murdered them. That's not glorifying the sin, right? The sin isn't what makes the story great. It's what Jesus did to them after, right? What God does, how he redeems it. The difference is, and, and Saul and David, what ends up is Saul's true heart is, is shown at the end. Even if his initial sin wasn't as bad, the difference is in the response. David repented and turned back to God, and Saul, at the very end, had to be in control himself. Even the very moment when he said, I'll take my own life. I'm God, he's not. And go too far. Number two, there are some sins that are unforgivable. No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. You think there are sins. Every single person in this room has sins they think are unforgivable. I'm going to blow your mind here. That's not true. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some horrible things that happen in this world, right, that I would struggle with. Right? You hurt my daughter, I'd have a hard time with it. I'm being honest. But I do know, I do know that God can forgive that. Number three, once saved, this is lie, remember, you, you must live in fear of God leaving you. And if you're not scared enough, right, if you're not scared enough, then you're not really saved. Because the real Christians are the ones who are really, really scared all the time. Man, that does not sound like I've come to set the captives free. Those are three things. Let that sink in. Which, which one of those three or how many of them have you or do you really live out of, if you're honest? Like, you know the truth, right? I'll tell you God loves you. You believe it. But these lies echo in your head. Which ones? Because I know some of them do. Here's the truth. You can't go farther than the cross has already went. You get that? You can't go too far that Jesus isn't already there. Number two, you can't out God's grace through Jesus Christ. Now, on your own, you're in trouble. <laughs> but you can't out God's grace. Todd, where's your biblical evidence? I already gave it to you. Go back and read it. I'm going to make you work for it. Go back. You know the points here, right? They're there. Number three, he will never leave you or abandon you. He will go a million miles and more to bring you home over and over and over again. Now, the danger here is I can do what I typically do, and, and you've heard stuff like this. You've heard sermons like this. I, this isn't new. But my hope is today your response will be different, that you will let this permeate your heart. You'll, you'll soak in the truth of this. Because if you can't get yourself to grasp this and hold on to it and cling to it and believe it, then when the voices come, when the people who say you've went too far, you've done too much, you're a monster, when those are too loud, if you don't know God's truth, if you don't cling to it with everything inside of you, right, they will drag you away and they will make you forget who loves you. That's what they'll do. 
It doesn't matter if the entire world tells you, the entire world tells you that this isn't true. If every Christian in the world tomorrow told you this isn't true, it doesn't make it any less true. So before I even go on to the end here, you can come up. She's going to come up and start getting ready to play some music. Before I get to that, I want, I want to leave you with this. Friends, if you believe this, right, if, you, if your heart longs to hear this, if you're like, man, that's sad. Because that, listen, there are people who die, who can't handle the accusations and the shame and the hate, Right? And they either flee from church, and sometimes they can't. Listen, I've always said this. If God hadn't made me stubborn before I even knew him, right, it's not a good thing. But sometimes the only reason I'm still here isn't him, isn't my belief in his grace. It's my pure stubbornness, and I'm not going to let them win. Because I've, I've been there. I've been where you're at if you're in the room. Too. I've been there. I've been where they say, there's no way you're saved. Look what you did. And they tell you over and over and over again, and you're like, I know, I know, I know. It doesn't matter how many times you apologize, it doesn't matter how many times you repent, it doesn't matter how many years pass, they won't let you forget because the truth is they don't want to let you forget. Because see, if they can't condemn you anymore, then, then maybe someone will see their sin. See, people would rather throw stones, right, at the adulteress than stand with Jesus in front of them. That's a fact. So here's my thing. We can change this culture. We can make it different. We can, we can live the way Jesus wants us to live, but it's gonna take you being bold. It's gonna take you being radical. It's gonna take you not sitting in silence when you hear a Christian condemn with no hope. See, it's good to tell truth and to, to hold people accountable and to tell them when they're wrong, but there has to be hope, and if there's no hope, then it's not the real message. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that even though your Christian buddy, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, the guy on TV tells you something different? Will you stand up for the truth or will you live comfortably in a lie? Because that's the option. I would rather live in the truth, right? The freedom of the truth than live in the comfort of that lie because here's the truth. It's only comfortable when it's not me, right? When I'm not the one being condemned that day. But it always goes around. And even if it doesn't, if you're one of those lucky people that you haven't done the bad stuff, you still live in fear of it. What if I don't perform? What if I don't do well enough? What will happen then? You'll see the real me. He already does. Will you stand up? Will you stop feeding the machine that just eats people, that kills and throws out and shoots sheep because they're afraid of goats? Be radical. Everybody talks the talk, man. Every Christian in America, if we put them in here, Christian, and I said, you want to be radical? I'm like, yeah, we're radical. No, you're not. Because you know why? Being a radical believer and disciple has a cost. See, that's, we don't want that. We don't want a discipleship that has a cost. We want the one that makes us popular and cool and fun. And that, you can have that in little Columbia City, Indiana, right? It's cool to go to church. It's not cool to be different. It's not cool to really follow Jesus. But there's only one truth. Anything else that's not that is a lie. So think about that. But I want to ask you, do you feel a million miles away from God? Do you? I do sometimes. A lot of times. Are you living in shame from something you did one year, two year, one week, three year, 10 year, 20 years ago, you can't get rid of it, right? They won't let you forget. They won't let you heal. The beauty is, even though I'm telling you, I wish I could tell you it doesn't hurt, it still hurts me. Unless I'm mad, which I can't be. I can't hate them. God won't let me hate them. I hate that. <laughs> it doesn't, he told you the truth. I will remember your sin no more. You think he didn't know you were gonna stumble when he saved you? You didn't think that moment you came to the cross the first time, he didn't know you're going to end up running away again. But I'm going to come and get you, just like I did now. No mountains too high, right? Nothing will stop me from getting to you. He will never leave you. He will always take you back because the truth is he never left you. See, that's the illusion. I can't be a million miles away 
from him when he said himself, Jesus himself said, I will never let go of one of these you've given to me. So I may feel a million miles away, but I'm still in the palm of his hand like it was the first day I came to him. If you're in the room and you say, man, this blah, 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 Christian, blah, 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 stupid, blah, 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 it's probably because you don't know the real Jesus. You've just heard this guy that tries to tell you to fake it. That's exhausting. I get it. I wasn't raised in church either. I thought the same thing. I was like, these dudes are fake. They're still jerks. That's the thing. Christians are still jerks, and you're still going to be a jerk when you become one sometimes. That's just how it works. But I want to tell you the truth of the gospel really quickly. The truth is we've all messed up. The standard is perfection. We, he's, he's perfect and holy, and if we want to be in relationship with him and close to him, we have to meet that standard, right? We have to be the same. I always say you can't take a, a mud ball and a snowball and put them together. You can't, right? If you want a white snowball, you can't do that because the mud's going to get on it. God is the snowball. We're the mud. We want to be with him. We have to be made clean, made white, washed. The Bible says that, all, says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. The good news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. And it's scary, guys. I'm not going to lie to you because I've told you the good news. But the bad news is if you choose to not put your faith in Jesus, then you will be a million miles away in the misery, in the dark, until eventually, well, apparently Siri's trying to talk to me, right? Until eventually, you'll reap the consequences of the life you've chosen. But the sad thing is it doesn't end there. Because if you want eternity away from God, he'll give it to you. Why would a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. He lets you go there if you want to. That's the facts. See, we're all headed there. So we've all stored up wrath, it says. God is angry at sin. And if you're not with him, I hate to tell you this, he is angry with you. He is. He loves you, but he is angry. Well, I've done a lot of good things. Not enough. So the good news is, and I already told you in Romans, in the midst of our sin, when we were helpless and hopeless, there was a way. When we couldn't get to God, when we couldn't clean ourselves, when we couldn't pay the penalty, which is death. And before you say, that's a really harsh penalty, cool. Let me come in your house, kick your grandma, shoot your dog, kill your wife, children, husband, right? And then walk out. I'll come back the next day and say, I've done a, hey, can I come in and have, have, some, have some cookies and tea? And you'll be like, no. And I'm like, listen, I've been good 364 days. I just had one bad day. Should we let that person off? No. That's not justice. God is just and good. So the deal is, someone's got to pay for what you did. Jesus Christ is God made flesh. He came down. When we couldn't come to him, he invaded this earth. He told us what it's really like. He told us how much he loved us. He told us the situation, and then he told us the good news. He can take us home. He can clean us. He can bring us back. He can make it so that he'll never leave again. And then he died on the cross. He did. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He did. You're silly to think. You believe George Washington existed? Did you meet him? Did you see him? Some book told you that? 500 witnesses saw the risen Christ. 500. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He took your penalty, your punishment, so that you never have to, and you never have to be separated. He was separated from the Father, from God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you never have to be forsaken. He conquered death, he came back, and, but here's the deal. You have to do something. You have to let go of being good enough on your own. You have to let go of thinking you don't need him. You have to let go of thinking you're God and he's not. You have to turn to God and say, I am a sinner. I've messed up. Forgive me. Give him that sin. He takes it on the cross forever. Past, present, future, and return, he gives you the benefits of his perfect, spotless life. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he'll go a million and a half miles always to bring you home. So if you don't know him today and you've been told something else, you right now, you, yeah, you, the bad person, because I'm bad too. You, that person that thinks you've gone too far. You, that, this, that, and the other. God is saved far worse than you, and he's going to keep doing it. Today is the day you've been given. I'll do it when I go home. That's what I thought back in the day. No, you don't, tomorrow's not promised. Lord forbid you go out and get hit by a bus, and then it's too late. You're going to get the opportunity in a little bit. There's going to be people up here praying. I'm going to tell you what was told to me. 
17 years old, didn't understand a single thing. All I knew is he talked about Jesus and forgiveness and love, and that sounded pretty good. You don't have to be afraid. Who cares what people think? It's your eternity. Come up here, get prayer, pray with them. If you don't know how to do it, you don't need them, but it's nice to be shown how, right? Come up here and be able to walk away different, clean, whole, new, and know that forever and ever and ever, God will never let go of you, ever. That you'll be with him forever in paradise. That your shame and your, your fear can be washed away. And even though people try to make it, right, be loud and make you feel it again, he'll remind you over and over of the truth. And if you're in the room today and you've been under a weight, a weight of shame and fear and sadness and brokenness, take this time and let God's truth soak in your heart. There's people up here willing to pray for you. The Bible says the prayer, right, if we confess our sins, we'll be healed because the prayers of a righteous man are prayerful indeed. There's something about that that says, I need prayer. Pray with me. The humility in that. Take this time and respond to God to however he's calling you to respond.